On today's packed episode of the Starting Eleven podcast, we're going to be talking about Liverpool's failing title charge, more controversies with VAR in the North London derby, and whether or not Toronto FC will have a good season, despite everything that's happened in the recent off-season. All that and much, much more coming right up on the Starting Eleven podcast. Welcome to episode 8 of the Starting Eleven podcast. I'm back from a short hiatus dealing with NHL trade deadline, and I'm joined by Justin Boro. Hello. And Chengiz Khan. Did you know that stop signs <sighs> outlined in white are optional? <laughs> Do you mean stoptional? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yes, you he knew did that it. one. He knew that he one. did it. Also, please, they are definitely not optional. Please drive safe. Please. <laughs> all right all right justin what are we drinking today we are drinking my favorite beer it is and i'm gonna butcher this because it's a foreign name it is erdinger weiss beer uh, and it is a i'm sorry erdinger erdinger oh it's not erdinger erdinger Erdinger. Erdinger? no it's erdinger oh i was right (laughs) you're messing up my flow here sir uh so we're drinking erdinger weiss beer it is a bavarian wheat beer uh, and it is brewed in accordance with the Bavarian purity law. Uh, it's fermented like champagne, so it has a bit of a bubbly effect. Uh, and it has a unique, refreshing taste. As a fan of wheat beer, I love this one because it's not too fruity. Uh, it doesn't have sort of that juice consistency that you get from uh, other wheat beers like Belgian Moon or uh, Kronenberg Blanc. Uh, and so you really get that sort of crisp beer taste, um, but it doesn't have any of uh, that extra sweetness to it. So it, it's a really nice mix between uh, like a good wheat beer and also it's, yeah, it's delicious. Tastes good to me. Let's just be honest. <laughs> Let's just be honest. The domestic... Wheat beers are not real. No, they're wheat beers. If you want real wheat beer, you have to go to uh, the, the German Weiss beers. Yes, it's and then you're good. It's uh, it's brewed actually in uh, Werner Brombach, Germany, Erding, <laughs> in Erding, Germany, which is uh, fantastic. Uh, and I love the copy they have on the bottle. Um, Erdinger Weiss beer is bottled fermented like champagne, resulting in a unique, refreshing taste. Its glistening golden straw color and majestic frothy head are unmistakable. All right, well, now that we have talked about the beverageinis that we have for the day, <laughs> little James Corden there for you guys, um, Gavin and Stacy, check it out. Yeah, that's what this podcast needs, James Bloody Corden. <laughs> uh, for all you guys listening out there, Changez is not a fan of uh, Big JC. <laughs> He's such a put on. Oh my God. Anyways, back on track, back on well, track. Guys, I'm going to uh, reassume my hosting duties. Thank you so much, Peter, for uh, jumping in for that intro. And uh, welcome back, buddy. We uh, we missed you last week. I missed it. I I came in and I was like, <laughs> I feel like I haven't done one of these in so long. So I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we were we were we were we did pretty well without you, but it wasn't the same. And I, I don't know why Chengiz is laughing at us, but it's good times. <laughs> so just so everybody knows, we are recording remotely for the second time, but we have video chat on, so we could all see each other, but it's all through a screen. So, <laughs> no, the the because of the bottle, it, I got a bunch of did you, bubbles, and did it went you, up my nose. Did you deep throat the bottle, Chengiz? <laughs> I did not deep throat the bottle. Okay, I did that once. You know, listen, we're trying to work out our image here at Starting Eleven Podcast. You're going to see some changes of the coming weeks, and one of the prototypes did involve me <laughs> performing a mild fellatio to a beer bottle. 
<laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's jump into what we are here to talk about, which is football. Uh, we're going to start with the game that had the most uh, significant impact on the title race, which is the Merseyside Derby. Nil-nil uh, between Liverpool and Everton, um, two fierce rivals. Chengiz is holding his head in shame. Um and according to Jurgen Klopp, uh, it was all the wind's fault. So if you're a Liverpool fan out there, you can more than you're more than welcome to blame the weather for your um, lack of play from your star players. It's funny how it's it's funny how the wind affected us and not Everton. I mean, even like Marco Silva said, uh, he he's not he didn't think the wind was that bad, but maybe. Uh, Maybe it's because he's just used to playing at Goodison Park. Who knows? He didn't. He didn't think the wind was that bad because the Everton fans were holding it in for ninety minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the wind blows both ways, you know. Once a once again once a game, so once a half. So, um, but I mean, for the most part, this was a disappointing showing for Liverpool. Uh, they were there was a lot more expected of them. Uh, especially with that five uh, that five no victory earlier in the week, uh, where they absolutely dominated Watford. So, uh, what did you boys think of the game? I mean, now the the title is slowly slipping out of Liverpool's hands and and falling into City's hands. Uh, it's it's slowly turning into a um, City's to lose, which is is not the situation where Liverpool wants to be. Um, but I also don't think that it's it's panic mode yet. Um, so I mean, yeah, what what did you guys think of of the matchup and and where does Liverpool need to uh, where does Liverpool need to step up? I think number one, derbies are completely different. So when you go into a derby atmosphere, uh, regardless of what two teams are are in it, um, it's a lot more than just uh, the, you know position in the league and and form. You know the whole atmosphere, the whole temper of the game is sort of. Uh, ramped up a little bit more. So you have to kind of take derbies with a grain of salt. And you know what? Liverpool came in confident after demolishing Watford midweek. And it it kind of showed. But at the same time, I think Everton did really well defensively. Uh, You know, only three shots on goal for Liverpool. So as much as Liverpool was threatening... Uh, I think Everton did do well defensively this game, this match. They did, but I feel like you need to expect more from Mohamed Salah. You, oh yeah, you, of course. You, I of mean, course. he he was non-existent again that game. This is now his second game in in three weeks where he's looked non-existent, uh, and I, I feel like that sh- that's a, a troublesome sign for Liverpool fans and and for the team in general. It is, but at the same time, you know, Mohamed Salah has been the Premier League's best player arguably for the last 18 months it's about time people started figuring out how to shut him down right especially the lower league teams because he can do he's he's some quarters would accuse him of being a flat track bully um and his record against the top six would suggest that's true so for the top for the bottom 14 teams they have to come up with a game plan to stifle him and they did that really well they definitely ruined our fluency Against Watford, we were really strong. We were really fluent. Watford tried to play against us. And time has shown that if you try to play against Liverpool at Anfield with an open game, you're going to get your ass handed to you because we just do it better. Now, Everton didn't look completely like they were setting up shop. They didn't look like they were parking the bus at any one point. But they did a fantastic job of getting men behind the ball. They shut down our, um, our passing avenues. But also, for some reason, our selection, we left Nabi Keita and Shakiri on the bench, you know, and we brought on Adam Lallana and James Milner when things weren't going our way. I like Henderson, I like Fabinho, I like Wijnaldum, but that is way too workmanlike 
a midfield for to play against a team that you know is going to be set up to frustrate you. I think Klopp got this one absolutely wrong. And I do think the players put effort into it. I, I really do think they played their heart out. The 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 uh, occasion of the derby was certainly not lost on them. And it certainly wasn't lost on Everton, who I think were only in it by virtue of rising to the occasion. But I think this one lies on Klopp. Like, how can you go from 5-0 beating best of the rest Watford, currently sat in seventh, to bottling it against Everton in a must-win game? And you're absolutely right now. Like, I think over the course of this season, I've, I've done my best to try and keep the hype and the speculation down to a minimum because just from my own history as a Liverpool fan of going very, very far in a competition and then having it ripped away at the last second, you know, like European League final, Champions League final, Cup, League Cup final. Um, so going all this way and getting it ripped out time and time again has made me very tentative. I don't really get excited anymore, which is sad, but hey, Liverpool fan. So <laughs> what I've done for this season is I've tried to just say, okay, this is what the facts are and this is how I'm approaching the season. Right now, as it stands, this title is now City's to lose. We had seven-point lead. Now we're one point behind. We have drawn four out of the last six. We've lost 11 points. That's not a good record, and that's something's got to change. I don't know if it's a club thing, a player thing, or a fitness thing. It could be a combination of all three. But right now... I am, you know, Klopp came out this week saying, saying, you know, I'd rather be chasing, which is a load of crock, and I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, the thing Klopp is, says I a lot of things, eh? He does say a lot of things, but the reason he says it is to, to deflect attention away from his players and to take it on him, which is a smart thing to do. Mourinho used to do this all the time, didn't he, Justin? <laughs> he was famous for it. The one thing that Klopp could have done to really divert attention is he could have really smacked the shit out of that ball boy who was sarcastic laughing at him. Yeah. When he raised his fist to him, I was like, was, was he going to smack no, him? No, he was clapping. He was clapping him the whole time. And then the Klopp just raised the fist, just like, I'm going to, you want yeah. And they, the kid just kept going. The kid's like, hey. And then thumbs up as well. That kind of needle you don't see very often anymore. If like I understand that Klopp's saying all these things to deflect attention away from the players and put it on him because you, the last thing Liverpool players need is more pressure, right? I'm sure they've already got a lot of it on themselves and from the media and from the fans everywhere. The thing is, City are experienced. They know how to lead a title race. So I would much rather be one point ahead than one point behind City because at this point, City have the experience, they have the temperament, and they have the mentality to keep that one point and maybe turn it into four or seven or whatever it is. You know, they have, I think they have the, arguably the harder fixtures ahead than Liverpool, but you wouldn't want to be chasing City at this part of the season. That's for sure. Let's just say that this game was calling out for someone very creative from Liverpool and the substitutions that Klopp made. He, he didn't add anything. He didn't inject any creativity. You had Shakiri waiting on the bench. Someone who has proven that he he can score against big teams. He's great. Everton isn't a big team. Wow. I mean, <laughs> it's a big game. Let's it's a big it game. Way. It's a big game. I know, I know. Sorry, Everton um, fans, but also not. <laughs> <laughs> he He's shown that he's a very creative player. He gets, uh, he attacks the fullbacks. He, he creates, he puts in great crosses. And that's what they needed. And they weren't getting that. They were trying to play through the middle and you know when they were overlapping their fullbacks you know with Robertson and, and Trent um, 
you know, they, they were doing well, but they weren't getting the quality ball in that, that the game needed. And I think Shakiri would have provided that. I don't understand how Salah was allowed to stay on the pitch, having fluffed two huge chances. One was a clear one-on-one, which I think any other game, any other time of the season, he puts that away and it's 1-0. And then potentially, you know, the Everton game plan then goes out the window and then suddenly the floodgates are open for Liverpool to try and exploit. And then it becomes a 3-0, 4-0, 5-0, as you come to expect from that Liverpool front three. But, but it I mean, didn't happen. To play, to play devil's advocate on that situation there, uh, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, if you look at another game of the weekend, um, United versus uh, Southampton, which we're going to get to a little bit later, uh, you could have said the same thing about Lukaku. Uh, Lukaku fluffed, I think, like three or four chances. But that's just Lukaku. First. It is. But I'm saying in the first, you know, 20, 25 minutes of the game, and, and I was reading all over Twitter, people screaming to get him off the pitch, but then the guy goes on and scores two goals. So I, I feel like a player of Salah's quality, even when he does fluff his chances, you need to keep him on the pitch because, A, taking him off right away, I feel like it's just an absolute devastation to his 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 confidence but at the same time uh i mean you expect a player like that to put those away and i feel like if he's fluffing them he's at least getting the chances and you you should leave him on there because he's going to keep getting those chances and hopefully with that kind of talent put it away so i feel like lukaku is a good example of a situation where you don't want to necessarily pull the player off because they've missed one or two chances uh, especially somebody of Salah's quality time for me to say something very obvious here uh lukaku is not Salah. the ball is round (laughs) Um, you would trust Lukaku to put something away in the 97th minute wouldn't you if it was on a on a plate for him sure yeah yeah if it was a penalty or if you know everybody had died no I'm kidding um you would trust Lukaku in those instincts. You want in those instances. You want him to be on the pitch because he is a game winner he's a match winner he's a difference maker Salah after 60 minutes if he hasn't scored a goal Generally speaking, he's not going to score a goal. I don't feel like having Salah on the pitch, if he's not performing, is of any use to the team. I don't feel like he's as good as opposition teams make him out to be. I think he's very fast. He's very technical. He can finish. He had a great season. He knows how to score the goal. He knows how to get into positions. But if he can't make it work within the first 60, that front three has a problem. You need to switch it up. Like... Mane had that horrible, horrible game against Bayern. You need to take him out. If Firmino is not doing anything, if he's not making plays, I mean, he's not linking the front three, he's usually hooked off. Salah has repeatedly survived Klopp's substitutions, and I think it's time that stopped. I think getting Salah off, putting Shakiri on, is a good wake-up call to Salah. I say, listen, that's not good enough. You can do better than that. And it's also a great confidence booster to Shakiri, who hasn't been great the last few times he's been subbed on in all fairness and if you say okay Salah can do it but you can if I'm the gaffer I'm hoping that decision gives Shakiri a bit of confidence to do something with the abilities that he does have I think that's a fair assessment and a fair criticism but uh, let's let's leave the Liverpool talk uh, there for now Uh, and let's jump over to another derby of the weekend Uh, we have the North London derby Uh, it was a 1-1 draw between uh, Spurs and Arsenal uh, which actually turned out to be quite an exciting game uh so we had Ramsey uh <laughs> clear alone half of the field to just saunter down yeah he had to score that that one. that was uh that was a, a huge defensive error on especially uh, when you're gonna get paid four hundred and fifty thousand a week yeah. <laughs> can, can I just that say that Sanchez is being paid five hundred thousand a week and he's doing 
Yeah, Whoops. that was that was a really bad defensive error on sitting uh, on the bench or getting injured. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was very bad. Yeah. And uh, and uh, Sanchez. Then on the other side, uh, Harry Kane puts away a penalty. Uh, the controversy. Game. Uh, and that's what we're gonna sort of focus on with this game <laughs> is the uh, VAR. What is it good for? Hopefully everything, because this game was an example of why they need it. Um, and so I, I kind of want to know what you guys think. Do you guys think that? Uh, first and foremost, let's start with the Harry Kane penalty. Uh, if VAR was uh, introduced, when VAR is introduced to the game, is that a penalty? Is it being called or is it being overturned? Uh, Peter, what do you think, man? So at first when I saw it, I said, okay, penalty. I saw the replay. I was like, okay, that's not a penalty. Obviously, he's offside. Uh, I saw a thing in the week that said that the call actually aligned with the FA rules when it came to it, uh, so it should have been called a penalty. I don't remember the exact uh, verbiage that was used, but I suppose it was okay to be called a penalty. Even um, with the offside. Even with the offside. Because um, I guess technically it wasn't offside. I have the full uh, FA um, rules here in front of me. Um, okay, perfect. FA rules state that if a player in an offside position moving is moving towards the ball with the intention of playing the ball and is fouled before playing or attempting to play the ball, or challenging an opponent for the ball, the foul is penalized as it has occurred before the offside offense. So he yes, was fouled before. So that's before exactly what happened. Yeah. He was caught So offside. because the flag wouldn't go up until after he plays he the ball. He would have to touch it, yeah. Then the, the foul would stand because the foul happened first. Right. Whereas if he played the ball, then was fouled, the offside would stand because the offside would have happened first. Yeah. Right, yeah. but here's the so thing. So whatever offense happens first. Here's okay. the thing, but this is where the ambiguity comes in, is because typically offsides are called much before the player gets the ball. So I think the linesman missed it and then it just so well, the happened way that to work. I, I disagree with that though because I yeah. feel like for the most part from my experience the the flag doesn't normally go up until the ball is played because I mean you have the example for uh, coming quickly to MLS you have the example last year of when um, the ball was played to Ibrahimovic who was offside he didn't even go for the ball he just let it let it be the ball played on the ref didn't put the flag up because he hadn't played it yet and then the the um, the other player picked up the ball, went in and scored or, or passed it back to Zlatan who scored. So I feel like the, the flag doesn't normally get raised until, until the, ball the ball is played, played or they make an effort or an effort the towards the yeah. ball. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's happened a few times this season where strikers have been in an offside position. The ball's been played through. They haven't made an effort towards the ball. The flag hasn't gone up. Um, it's also been called where they've made an effort towards the ball and the flag hasn't gone up until the linesman has seen that they've made that effort towards the ball. And I think the one thing that the uh, the Premier League has going in its favor, um, at least when it comes to VAR, that other leagues that use VAR, like Liganos or um, the MLS, don't, is that the Premier League lines up its cameras usually with the defensive line. Uh, and so when there is an offside call, you can actually see the line. Whereas when you watch VAR calls, or at least replays of them, uh, for like the MLS or and Liga Nosh, um, you're you're kind of seeing it on like an angle, so you're looking back at the line. Stadium camera. So it's a little bit harder. Yeah, so it's a little bit harder to kind of see the offside because in one angle it's offside, the other angle it's onside, and so it, it leaves that sort of ambiguity. Whereas I feel like the Premier League does a really good job of making sure their cameras, and of course with the flying cameras and the overhead drones and stuff, uh, they have they, cameras everywhere now. Yeah, they have they have a, a, a much better ability of actually lining up that back line and really making the the 
call clear. So I think that's going to be one thing that's going to benefit the Premier League when it comes to those. Um, but you know, this calls. is this is the thing now is that VAR has to be there has to be a system to use VAR responsibly because at this at the rate that we see these decisions, these missed calls being made, you'd have to use VAR every freaking thirty seconds. Like the referees are genuinely garbage in the Premier League, and I don't think anybody of any sane-minded body can argue against that. The, like it's, it could be worse. It could be MLS. It could be worse. Oh, it could we're be MLS. Gonna get into we're, that. We're, we're, we're definitely going to get to that. Later. Trust, but like, yeah. uh, just Nima Zagafi, I'm coming for you, bud. <laughs> but it just the standard is so low, and it has been so low for so long that there needs to be a proper system in place because if it is a clear and obvious mistake as the current rules suggest that VAR should be used for, then like I can count at least 10 calls from that one game alone that VAR could be used by. And then that that's what, like eight, nine minutes at a time just to review that? And that's my one fear of VAR being brought into... Um into the Premier League is that I don't want it to turn, um, I don't want it to make referees um, question every decision they make. And that's what we saw, which we're going to get into later in the, the Toronto FC game uh, this weekend, was a referee who was not confident, who Absolutely was not. not confident with any of his decisions, and went to VAR for everything. And that's a huge problem. And I don't want to see that. I want to see referees making decisions, taking chances, making calls. And look, if there's a clear and obvious error, then yeah, for sure, call it back or or use VAR to... to now, the one thing I, I, I want to say is I think that, similar to hockey, um, VAR should be used... Uh, like it is in hockey, where the play should carry on. If there's um, another uh, call that has to get brought back or whatever, then the play should just die wherever it is. So, for example, you go up the field, there's a penalty, doesn't get called, ball goes up, other team scores, referee gets it in his ear that, look, there's a penalty at the other end of the, the pitch, that, call, goal, that goal gets called back, you go down, you take the penalty. You know That way, that play's not being stopped, it's not interfering with the flow of the game. Um, but the call is still being made correctly. I don't like this whole concept of, all right, everybody pause, don't move. If the ball gets kicked off, the VAR can't be used. See, I don't like that because then you have players rushing to take kicks, especially if they think there's going to be a call. The referee bringing it back. He's standing there for five minutes. Yeah. It's 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 no, I, impeding I the I understand what game. you're saying, but as a spectator, I don't want to see my team score a goal and then have it ruled out later on because the referee was in dingus. <laughs> but it's going to happen. You know it's no, going to happen. No, I understand it's going to happen. And like currently when when there is disallowed goals, there's reasonable doubt and everybody can see the reasonable doubt, you know, like a like a flagged offside or a, or a foul, you know, just before the actual play happens. That sort of thing like in the process of getting to the goal something happened and therefore it's disallowed. Whereas if something happens in the midfield in the middle of the park and then as a result of that there's a counterattack, there's a beautiful goal at the end of it. And it's like a minute later, then they just, after the celebrations are done, and then they call it, that's going to kill the, the spirit of the game. That's going to kill the atmosphere of the game. I, I, at that point, that's more of a flow and mood killer than stopping the play ever could be. I'd rather they be correct uh, than, than be mean, wrong and that, play with our emotions as, as weird as that, that's a, that's a fair <laughs> that's a fair criticism i'm just trying to think of a way that var can be used effectively but without stopping or impeding the flow of the game i have a suggestion for that oh, what's your suggestion take it from cricket cricket both teams have var or in that sport they call it decision review system drs and basically they can challenge the umpire or the referee if they think a certain decision has gone against them unfairly 
So each so like football or baseball, the NFL in. challenge, yeah, stuff. like a challenge, yeah, a challenge, NHL challenge. And then what would you lose? Would you lose a substitution if your challenge is incorrect? No, 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 not that. Uh, what I would do is you give each team a life, okay, a, ch- a life in this challenge system. If they challenge the referee and they're in the wrong for challenging, they lose that life and they can't challenge anymore. If they're challenged, but if they're right, they get another. If one. their challenge is correct, they keep their life. They keep their life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of like hockey. Like if you use your challenge in hockey, then you can't challenge again. Yeah. Well, it's like, I guess it's somewhat like the NFL where you lose a timeout. You lose a timeout. Um, yeah. Otherwise, if you're right, you don't lose a timeout. But I feel like the difference in that is that in this case, like what Chengiz is offering or suggesting, you're, there's no real penalty. I mean, for for making the wrong call, you're just losing your, your ability to make another call. Whereas in the NFL, losing a timeout is actually a, 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 a tactical loss. Like yeah, you yeah. use those timeouts tactically. So that's actually a, a – so I feel like that's the, the difference there. But um, – some good suggestions by both you guys. Uh, now, going up the other end, there's another controversy. Uh, a very weak penalty called uh, on Obama Yang. Um, Which, uh, it, let's be honest, it, it came up to nothing. Uh, Lurie saved it. The Vertonghen took it off the off the goal line. But... Encroachment. <laughs> but after further review, uh, This is an NFL call. Very much uh, encroaching on the penalty taker. Uh, How do you not spot After that? taking a... I, I didn't. I didn't see it when it happened. No, but, but after like I as a referee, like the replay, it's like, like the whole could, line is yeah. just static, and then he just fucking fucks off in the middle of the yeah he <laughs> six yard box. He was he was at least like two or three yards ahead of the line. Like it wasn't like he was only uh, he like was a in step there. off. He was in. He was like, in there. I'll, I'll even say that as a Spurs supporter, he was in there. Yeah, but and it was a weak penalty by Obama Yang. Horrible penalty. But does he that, play for TFC? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. And he signed him up. He's perfect. <laughs> he fits right in uh, but just, that being think said of, just, uh, this is another sorry sick- just think of him as Ricketts but better <laughs> yeah basically yeah not playing in the Lithuanian league <laughs> Uh, a little bit better than that. <laughs> but um, that being said, uh, so yeah, that's another situation where uh, the VAR could have been used to call that play back. Penalty would have been retaken uh, and very likely probably would have been scored. He would have missed uh, the entire net. He would have missed the whole net this time. <laughs> Way up. Ter- Terrence Boyd style. Just <laughs> right into the parking lot. <laughs> um, Who we're going to talk about later. I, I think for the most part, uh, it's fair to say that that a lot of people in the Premier League, a lot of fans are looking forward. I think teams teams as well are looking forward to uh, VAR being brought in. Uh, like I said, my my biggest hope is that it's going to be used with discretion and used correctly. The World Cup got it pretty right. I it, think, it was pretty I good. Think the, the World, World Cup, Cup, especially yeah. for its first time being used internationally, I think they got it spot on. The caliber of referee at the World Cup was really good too. It's it good. was. It yeah. was probably one of the yeah. best refereed World Cups ever. That's because you have German refs in the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. And German refs are the best. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, um, the the one one nil from the North London Derby uh, put Spurs in a, a pretty um, ugly scenario when it comes to title challenges. Uh, I think it's fair to say that their their title challenges all but extinguished uh and now their hope is to hold on to third place which looks like arsenal uh or united could easily challenge for i'm gonna be honest united is who we have to worry about um spurs themselves bit of a down game when we came to uh when we came to this game um obviously defensive laps that let ramsey and on goal uh realistically Xhaka should have been 
uh, cautioned earlier in the match, but you know it really came to nothing. I want to talk about kind of a bad tackle by Lucas Torreira. Um, yeah, that it was high on Danny Rose. Yeah, uh, and considering he just come on the pitch and got a straight red, like it's it kind of reflects badly on him. Danny Rose wasn't even having a good game, and it was close to the end of the match. Why? Why do you need to put in a tackle like that? That was an ugly tackle. Um, it was senseless. It, it, it easily a straight red. Uh, it was a good call by the referee. Um, but I mean, yeah, it was just it, it was uncalled for, and and I think it just really kind of showed the 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 heat of the derby there. And it was just it was just a stupid play by uh, Torreira. But let's now jump over to talking about United Southampton. Uh, that was an absolute thriller. It ended and th- Valerie. It ended three two for United. <laughs> Bangers only. Uh, hashtag bang it up. Uh, Lukaku no, scored. No, 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 no. That is not <laughs> bang it up. Hashtag for this. Bad hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, hashtag no. bangers only. Hashtag <laughs> bangers only, not bang hashtag it up. Bang it. <laughs> that's what. That's a, that, I'm pretty sure that's a supporters hashtag from Millwall. <laughs> Let's not be like we're Millwall. Bring on the Millwall hate. No, here it comes. No Millwall. <laughs> the next hour is just going to be Chengay's talking about how much he despises Millwall. Uh, listen here, you little shit. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about Romelu Lukaku the Belgian beast has reawoken uh, six points in his last two games uh, absolutely on fire but first things first uh, let's talk about the opening goal of the game Jan La- Valerie with what is very easily can be considered the goal of the season uh, it was an absolute it's got nothing from- on Mane's back heel chip though let's be real that is <laughs> that is all right, that is fair, but I think it, it, it will be in close contention. Um, so, uh, yeah, and Valerie from outside of the box blasts it top corner on uh, on David De Gea. But, you know, good on United to fight back. Uh, they they dug their heels in. They, they really pushed on. Um, it, it, it felt like the game was kind of tilting their way once uh, Lukaku had scored. Um, and then uh, first Pereira with that beautiful goal. Um, Lukaku makes it 2-1. Um, it, it it really seemed like the game was sort of tilting in United's favor. It felt like they were going to go on and score maybe two or three more. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Ward-Prowse comes out of nowhere and just absolutely hammers home one of the most beautiful free kicks I've seen uh, right over the wall, top corner. No chance for David De Gea to get a finger on it. Uh, and next thing you know, it's 2-2, and this game looked like it was going to fizzle out into a draw. And then in the dying embers, who comes through? But like I said, the Belgian beast, Romelu Lukaku, steps up, makes it 3-2, and United go on to secure another three points and remain undefeated in league play under uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, which has got to be a great feeling for him. That was some squeaky bum time for you, eh? It it was. I was starting to get a little bit nervous. But you know what? Even a draw would have been... um, you know, would have kept his undefeated streak going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously those three points are huge in the race for third place. Sorry, Peter. Uh, <laughs> uh, and obviously I've already wanting, conceded it. I'd obvi- rather move on in the champions league. <laughs> obviously want it. Yeah. We're, that's going to be a, Peter a the tough pessimist. one too. That's a good ring. To Peter, it. the pessimist. I like it. Hey man, you got, you got to go with form and Spurs are not on form right now. So Peter, the Neither pessimist. Liverpool, and Chen- yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's P- being Peter- off form. <laughs> <laughs> Peter the pessimist and Chengiz the clencher. Is this, are, are, are these going to yeah, stick? Yeah, I can, I can do that. Yeah, can do I think that. it's fitting. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty pessimistic, especially when it comes to Toronto FC. <laughs> we're we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Part two's coming. Part two's it's, coming. It's almost like we all watch Toronto FC or something. 
I can't wait to talk about them uh, every yeah, day. I, I was sitting there on the weekend being like, is it Monday yet? Is it Monday yet? I was really excited to get on the pod with you guys, especially because last week felt a little bit thin just without Peter there and your expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as I much as I love talking to you, Chengiz, it, it just didn't feel like we, oh, uh, we no. had the whole crew together. So I, I felt like I felt kind of bad doing the pod. I felt like you a, here. I felt like I felt like we I felt like we were cheating. Him. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> get out of my head. <laughs> we didn't have beer. We we didn't have your no. usual positive outlook on Spurs for that podcast. Great, podcast. great positive outlook on every very, team. Very I positive outlook on Spurs. <laughs> uh, but he, he was yeah. busy for the NHL trade deadline, which we understand. Yes, and I had also trade we deadline didn't have, stuff. We didn't too. have a single obvious statement. Yeah, we actually yeah, the ball had, wasn't we, round that week. The ball was yeah, the not round last. week. It was actually more <laughs> octagonal, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> Like your uh, optional stop signs. Yes, yeah. I was so happy yeah. that I had a response to that one today. I said, I said I was going to have one. I'm going to find it. one. Like I need to see that face when you're just like, wait, what? I know that I was the, that I was the, the water one. The water one had me there. But <laughs> let's carry on, guys. Um, so Lester lose two one to Watford. Brendan Rogers' first game in charge. Uh, it was a nightmare start after conceding five minutes in. Uh, did he make the right decision? No, Celtic? I don't think <laughs> no, he did. He he, and we talked about this last week. Um, I what? mean, he had I, an opportunity to become uh, Celtic royalty uh, to to do the trouble trouble. Uh, and uh, the triple, sorry, the triple trouble. And um, you know what? He kind of threw it all away for for more money and for, I guess, uh, you could say a more prestigious club. Um, Pre- prestigious, you won one Premier League and you got lucky. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the Premier League is definitely a, a much more competitive and, and a much more prestigious league than, obviously, the Scottish Prem. Um, but that being said, I, I just feel like he should have seen out the last 11 games with Celtic, um, taken them to wherever they were going, and then sort of, uh, if, if Leicester were serious, Seriously interested in him, then they could have brought an interim manager for the rest of the season. Look, they're not going to get relegated. They're not going to make it much further up the table than where they're at. Um, so they could have just sort of brought in an interim man- interim manager. They could have seen out the rest of the season, and then if they were serious about Brendan Rodgers, brought him in on the offseason. I don't think I don't That's think Leicester would have opinion. waited. I don't think they would have waited. I think they would have probably no, hired have somebody on. permanently if it wasn't Rodgers. Claudio um, Ranieri, I hear he, Yeah, you could have brought back right Ranieri, but he's the, here's the, the thing: is like. I think Leicester needed need stability. They need their feel good factor back, and they need a good manager to get them playing good football again. So realistically, they had a, probably a short list of like three people. If they couldn't get Rogers, they would have gone for the other two, and that would have been their permanent manager. So for Rogers' sake, I think to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, I think he made the best decision for his career at the time. He has won everything there is to win with Celtic, but you know, as a football fan first, and you know, basically related to Celtic because we share an anthem with them. I think he made a stupid, stupid decision leaving Celtic when he could have been basically, he could, he would have never had to have paid for a drink in his life in Scotland ever again had he won the triple treble. And now I do, I do agree with you. Um, I mean, I understand where you're coming from saying that if Lester would have um, moved on. But I feel like if they really wanted Brendan Rodgers, they would have waited. There was, what, 11 games left, 10 games left That's in the season? That's a long time, I mean, though. Bring like, in they're it, not in the clear. It, that is. That's 30 points, 33 points. It, it, it is a long time. But, I mean, with the quality that Leicester has, even with an interim manager, I don't see them dropping all 33 of those points and, and falling to bottom of the table. I mean, like, and I don't see teams like Fulham 
or teams like Huddersfield catching up to them. Uh, so, I mean, that's just my personal opinion. Okay, but think, think, uh, and think I feel about like, this. Think about this is that, you know, you're, you're the chairman of Leicester. You know that Puel hasn't really worked out. You know the team's in a bit of a rut. You know that whatever Puel's done with his rebuilding hasn't really worked. You want a manager, a good manager to come in ideally now so that, you know, yes, I don't think he's going to do much different than an interim manager in the short term. I think the results will be the same. You're absolutely right. But a good manager will get the lay of the land in these next few months, and then he'll be really able to implement his vision over the summer and the preseason and go for the targets that he really needs to make this football team truly unique and his. And you guys both make good points about that, and I, I do agree. I'm just saying that I feel like by him leaving now, he's really left a bad taste in Celtic fans' mouths, mm. and he went from being Celtic uh, royalty now just a to, little bit <laughs> to uh, to just being absolutely despised by Celtic. And I feel like that's just after all the hard work he did and all the stuff he did with Celtic, uh, it's just sort of a really shitty way to go. Uh, but he made his decision. He made his bet. He's got a lie in it, and that's just my opinion on that matter. I mean, I'll be completely honest with with Brendan Rodgers. Okay, so Celtic, you know, Champions League club, if not a Europa League club, uh, does pretty well in those in those uh, competitions. Comes to the Premier League, he's going to be maybe a top seven club. I really don't see them challenging for a title again. He's he's going to have a, this drought of silverware for years and years and years and years. For what? He he could have been a Celtic legend, as we said, and as Celtic supporters themselves have said. He could have been in line for a Chelsea job. He could have. I know you wouldn't want a Chelsea job if I was a manager. Nope. He could have been in line for a Spurs job. He could have been in line for for uh, Liverpool again. You never know, right? But the fact that he's going to be sort of like meandering in a mid-table club, you know. And he's going to kind of need a miracle with Leicester to, in order to sort of make that appearance because if if Leicester remain where they're at and as a mid mid table club I mean it's it's he's going to kind of go unnoticed I think it's going to be sort of he's just going to get no, brushed I, I, I disagree with the both of you because Mauricio Pochettino certainly wasn't doing any miracles at Southampton Brendan Rodgers was nobody exactly had a, an academy behind him Leicester doesn't have an academy yeah Leicester but he can change that cheap though. players and tries to turn them around but that'll take years that takes years to get a good academy going Southampton have are they known for their academy you know, Leicester well, takes not, years. not in the last few years, at least. Like the, it's definitely dry. <laughs> well, up. The, the the players they've been coming through, they've been putting them into the first team. But you, this thing so, is like all all big clubs have academies, and it's up to the managers to utilize that as they see fit. Um, like Chelsea has the world's biggest academy because they have fifteen thousand players on one, for example. <laughs> they have the biggest uh, loan supermarket. Yes, yeah, we'll loan supermarket. It. It's like it's like lob laws for football players <laughs> um no but I, like you know brendan rogers wasn't exactly tearing up the league with swansea before he got a liverpool job and then he nearly barely won it all didn't he and then you've got mauricio Pochettino with southampton the fact of the matter is you don't go from manager of scotland sorry manager of celtic to the manager of real madrid like that is not a lateral that's not a, 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 a that's like a couple of steps up you know that's like going from assistant manager to CEO, assistant to the regional manager to CEO. Like, there has to be... <laughs> but, I mean, you, you don't go from Leicester to Manchester United. You can, right? though, but uh, we, you can. Like, you've gone we, from Swansea seen from to the Leicester manager is now out of a job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but he's, he, won a, he won a title. But here's the thing, is like, what, what, big clubs, what big clubs want more than anything is, is risk-averse managers. And you can, if you can keep 
a mid-table side, solidly mid-table, get a couple of scraps under the belt, have a couple of deep, deep cup runs, you can really rebuild your reputation as a solid manager. And when the time comes knocking, so hypothetically, if Poch goes to United, right, and and, and Spurs are looking for a manager, they're going to choose somebody who is who is who is has a, a track record of keeping a team solid more than anything else keeping a, a dressing Anyhow. room <coughs> yeah well <laughs> keeping a keeping a team you know stable successful within their own means successful relative to their size and their their resources they're not necessarily going to want to go for the biggest brightest manager of the Lithuanian league for example or the Scottish league they're going to want to go for somebody who is a more of a known quantity you hire somebody to do the job that you're trying to do right now not for the job that they know how to do best somewhere else. Yeah, Steven Gerrard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not having you well, disrespect Liverpool's <laughs> next manager like that, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's going to do it for us here on part one of the Starting Living podcast. In part two, we're going to take a look at hashtag MLS is back and talk a little Toronto FC. All that and more coming up on the Starting Eleven podcast. Hey everyone, if you've liked what you've heard so far, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review to let us know what you think about the show. We would also love to hear from you. So please, if you have any questions, comments or concerns, please send them our way over at the starting XI podcast at gmail.com. That's the starting XI podcast at gmail.com. For more general abuse, be sure to at us and follow us over at XI podcast on Twitter. Now, let's get back to it. And welcome back to part two of the Starting Eleven podcast. Let's jump now into hashtag MLS is back. Let's talk a little Toronto FC. Uh, so a surprising 3-1 victory on the weekend for Toronto FC against the Philadelphia Union. Um, was it? It, it was. <laughs> I was. I was simultaneously underwhelmed and overwhelmed. Yeah. I was uh, whelmed. I, I think the most... Um, the most surprising part was Michael Bradley scoring his first brace oh, in yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Uh, if you told asked me where goals were going to come from uh, for Toronto FC this weekend, Michael Bradley would not have made my top 10 <laughs> out of 11 players on the pitch. <laughs> I would I would have responded, what are goals? <laughs> are we watching what? the same team? Yeah, I think if, if you're banking on, on Michael Bradley to score your double figures this season, don't bank on it. Don't, don't do it. Don't. Don't make that bet because you're going to lose all your money. <laughs> but he came through. Um, I mean, Toronto did not look great to start the game, uh, but they kind of did seem to to come into their their form um, as the game went on. They looked more comfortable. I, as a fan, felt more comfortable, um, at least going to the second half there. I felt they had a lot more control. Simon looked significantly better uh, in the second half of the game. Um, and, and, and Toronto just seemed to kind of come into... Um, into form in the second half. They, they looked significantly better than they did in Champions League, uh, which as a fan made me, like I said, a lot more uh, confident uh, that they might actually be able to pull something uh, out of this season. Um, I'm being cautiously optimistic, as Peter would put it. But I, I think that's I, how I, we all have to be. I, but I did feel better uh, watching that game against the Union, uh, but that's only one. Uh, there's a lot more to... Um, there's, there's a lot more games to play, and I, I think it's going to be a, an interesting um, season moving forward, and we're, we're going to see what happens. 
We needed a win, though. Like, as not not like literally. I mean, the obviously, fan base we, we needed do need something. The fan base needed a win, and this was it. Like, we've just had a the mother of all off seasons. You know, Jovinko leaving Altador with the weirdness around his situation until it was resolved very recently. Pozzuolo, will he, won't he? Uh, Vanderweel being frozen out. Still no word on what's happening there. We needed some feel good. We needed a reason to keep showing up to these matches, and we got one. We got three, in fact. Uh, and it was it was it was a scrappy game. It wasn't the best game to watch. And honestly, I think we are still playing at the level we saw TFC played last season. We didn't see anything significantly better. We were scrappy in possession, scrappy in defense, and our attack was um, improvised. I think is is the kind way of saying it, but it didn't matter because that was we got three goals, we got the three points, and that's really all that matters. I think when you look at the team, uh, they got lucky. Um, also, I'm going to call it the score right now because they have Drew Moore playing uh, right midfield on their what? lineup card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When Aro was there and Moore was in the center and Saman was on right center back, so uh, yeah, the score. Fix your shit. <laughs> are you saying right. the score are not properly invested into Canada's third most popular sport? Yeah. I'm saying that they should probably fix their shit. <laughs> um, if we look at the lineup, uh, Jordan Hamilton up top, really we didn't expect too many goals from him. He got, I mean, he got the one in, uh, in the Champions League, like cool, whatever, but realistically we don't expect much from him. Uh, were you expecting goals to come from Justin Morrow? Were you expecting them to come from Jonathan Azario? Nope. I mean, I think Azario had a he had a decent season last year. I he think was a TFC, top scorer last season. TFC fans are doing what Toronto sports fans do in general. They they find one person, even a local talisman, and they they build him up into something that he probably isn't. So let's be real. Right now, Jonathan Azario probably won't uh, do what he did last season, especially with. Pozzuolo coming in I think Pozzuolo is going to take a little bit more of the goals and assists type um, stats from Zario I'm not saying he won't be a squad player I'm just saying I think his stats are going to take a decline this season so uh, let's let's kind of pump the brakes a little bit on the Jonathan Zario uh, uh, talk but um Bradley he's the designated player that nobody talked about really this season or this mm-hmm. offseason so nobody really said what's happening with Michael Bradley, what's happening with his contract. You know, this is his last year. Let's be real. Um, nobody really brought him up, other than the fact that he wasn't talking about the other two, of the contract situations or anything. He's kind of been on on the outside. So for him to come in and score two goals that, granted, you know, were just good runs made by him late into the box. Um, yeah, I think he's he's handled this off season really well. Um, I would have liked him to come out and probably say something a little almost like mission statement of the team. Um, yeah, something that I think the Van thing is, is, that, is that has to come from the manager, right? And manager, but he's incapable. He's a fucking puppet. Let's be yeah, real. Yeah, but this is the thing: is you don't, as a captain, you never go above your manager. You never go above the club. You know, unless your name is Kepa Arisbalaga or Sebastian <laughs> Well, he is the manager. He is the club. Yeah. Look at me. I, I, I am the manager now. Um, there was no, an but, interesting but, interview done by, um, really quickly, Cengiz, for, sorry to cut you off, but there was an interesting uh, interview that was done by the um, the score uh, with oh, Alex. Now we're going to say that they're doing a good job? No, 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 no. Uh, no. There, but there were, listen, there was an interview done by the score uh, with Alex Bono and Jonathan Osorio. And I, there was just an interesting comment that Alex Bono made in the interview. Uh, so he was basically asked how the team uh, was going to sort of rally together after losing Giovanni 
Kravinko and Vasquez. And uh, the way he d- discussed it, uh, he he basically said, look, uh, we're focused on players that want to be here and um, players that don't want to be here, you know, we're just going to kind of forget about them. And so I thought it was an interesting way for him to address it only because it kind of read off to me like he was kind of throwing shade at Giovinco uh, and sort of going with the, the... Now this, like I said, could just be tfc propaganda like you know if you're going to talk about this push it this way but i don't know but uh it, he kind of did push the this idea that you know giovinko was sort of talking shit when he said that oh i would have taken less money uh, and that he kind of wasn't here and, and really wanted to go somewhere else uh, for more money and that was kind of how i read that response and so i thought it was interesting to kind of gauge player reaction from that because we haven't really had much uh minus josie Altador's heartbreak um from his bromance ending um, <laughs> oh no but uh, going back to you, Chengiz, I'm sorry that I cut you off there. No, it was, it was a, it was a. This is all he said, she said, isn't it? And at this point, I'm over it. Like I, I don't care anymore. Like he's gone, and it's done, and we've got a new guy coming in, and potentially with this new guy coming in, we're gonna have a shape change. I think it looks like Vanny wants to play four two three one with Pozzuolo as the ten. Um, so yeah, it, it, for me, uh, this saga's over. This chapter's closed. Let's move on. And the less said about it, the better, because it doesn't do anybody any good at this point. Like, we've got a win. We're top of the league. We have the top scorer, Michael frickin' Bar- Bradley, who <laughs> who I wanted to say was just been... <sighs> Yankee general. <laughs> Yankee general. Yankee general. But he put in a captain's performance, and he did the business did. on the pitch, and that's what we need more of. We need to do more business on the pitch. Like, we don't and, care. And he did the business on the pitch, on the ball, and off the ball. Uh, yeah. I think he he really kind of... Uh, he, he engaged in some shithousery tactics uh you yeah, know well, get into the face of fabian and marco and, fabian is just but, a walking shit marco house. fabian he is, was the shithouse to, <laughs> to end all shit but, but you know what i was i was happy that bradley sort of you know was it was in the referee's face uh speaking of that uh nima gaddafi please never referee a match ever again um or at least he not for the bad. next couple of years was um, so this was a situation the and baldomero toledo yeah, i thought chris penso was the worst referee uh in mls and then nima Gaddafi was like hold my beer um but uh really quickly um so this game was a great example of where VAR being used can go wrong um because uh the referee decided to go to his ear on every play uh which not only slowed the game down and impeded the flow of the game but it made him look like he didn't have control like he didn't know what to do he didn't have control at all he didn't but but by going to his ear for every call you know holding the players back players were getting antsy they were getting you know agitated they were kind of barking at him barking at each other and so it, it basically led to him looking like he had zero idea what he was doing, which yep. it looked like he didn't in all fairness, but it, it just, and for me, that is not how v- I want to see VAR used. I don't want to see you going to your ear every time you make a call. Um, Toronto FC gets a penalty, um, which was not a penalty in my opinion. It hit off the shoulder of the defender. Mm-hmm. Um, he was sliding in it. His arm wasn't wailing. It was right next to his body. Uh, in my opinion, should never have been a penalty. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Osorio, uh, I think the, the the stat was 13th different Toronto FC player to miss a penalty. So keep him coming. No, no here, I'm going to put it this way. Okay, Jonathan Azaro needs to get rid of that noodle that he has for a leg. It's a wet noodle, and he realistically just has to bang it into the back of the net. If you bang it and miss the net like Terrence Boyd did, I'll be like, you know what? At least, at least you hit it. He didn't even hit that one. We're never going to get a Toronto FC player out of this podcast. We're never. Man. Yeah, no, we're way too negative. No, you know what? I want him to come on and explain to me what his thought thought process on that penalty kick. 
Because it wasn't even a good penalty. Even if he banged it, it wasn't a this good penalty. This is going to be a very no, short it, podcast, my dude. <laughs> Blake um, Blake was expecting it. And and look, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, Toronto FC, like you said, they have to move forward with their um, with the situation that they're in. And, and they have. Uh, I think that Hamilton, he was the striker. He should have stepped up and taken that penalty. Mm. Um, I feel like he probably would have had a better chance of putting the back of the net or uh, even like Simon, uh, who would have probably just put his foot through it. Um, but look, you live and you learn. Next time the, the penalty opportunity comes up, someone else is going to grab the ball, uh, and we're going to see what happens. But uh, good on Nick DeLeons for scoring his uh, debut goal for Toronto yeah, FC. Well, he be a minute. secretly good signing. I think he's going Secretly to be. I mean, he signing. he was he was he was good for DC. Um, he unfortunate the way that he had to leave DC. Um, yeah, but I you know he what? He was ready time for a change come. as well, though. Yeah, time had come, so yeah. makes and, sense. And you know, we're happy to have him here in Toronto. I think we're happy to have anybody that's willing to play for us and and willing to kind of you know give everything for this team. And and Michael Bradley has had nothing but positive things to say about him, saying that he's he's uh, you know a consummate professional and and. Uh, Somebody who, you know, he's happy to have in the dressing room, which, you know, can't be said for other players. <laughs> Gregory Vanderweel. <clears throat> still in the book, still getting paid. Yeah. Uh, uh. If he keeps up that goal to game ratio, then uh, it's going to be a new hero, isn't he? I mean, yeah. realistically, I think he might get three this season, <laughs> maybe five. But you know what? He's industrious. He's he's a good player. He can, he can move the play along. Um, you know... It, and realistically, he hides other players, which I think is good. Um, he allowed Marquis Delgado to kind of just do his thing. Um, and, and Nick DeLeon, he's going to make tackles. He's going to not give up on the ball. He's going to try to keep balls in. He's going to play good passes and make good crosses. And realistically, I think it was a sneaky good signing um, by uh, Ali Curtis. So we'll see what happens. Um, but my kind of hot take on this game is... Watch out for Alex Bono. Mm, he yeah. may be one of the early um, scalps that's taken. Casualties, yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah he's not looked hot. He's not. He's not. In his, the last year. Uh, his distribution's been bad. Yeah. You um, can't first catch in, a goddamn in, ball, let alone his distribution. When I first came in, I said he's a really good shot stopper. Needs to hold on to the ball a little bit more and needs to work on his distribution. It's been three years of Alex Bono and he hasn't worked on his distribution or at least like there hasn't been a marked difference in his distribution. And yeah, he doesn't hold on to the ball. He doesn't have a command of the box. Um, and in a physical league like the MLS where there's a lot of high crosses coming in, you need to have a physical goalkeeper who's willing to um, you know, take take the box and make it their own and not, you know, grab not every high, cross that comes Not through. high crosses because they're any good, mind you. High crosses because they're all bad and nobody knows how to cross a bloody ball in this league. So he just well, doesn't... It gives you more does, time to get under it. Yeah, so, exactly. I but mean, the he, thing he is... should be able to take every single one. Yeah, here's the thing is I don't think Alex Bonner is up to the standard of the MLS because he doesn't know how to deal with unpredictability. I think he doesn't yeah. know how to deal with adverse conditions. I don't think he knows how to command his box like you're saying and he doesn't know when to stay on his line and when to push for a for a punch in or a throw or to claim the ball. I think he has no real self-confidence. I don't think he's been pushed. I can only assume that the recent signing of Quentin Westberg is going to push him to, you know, really train harder and, and hopefully push on and develop as a goalkeeper, like, because we can see the potential, but we, that's all we've been seeing for the last three years is, is potential. Yeah, we haven't seen yeah. the final product and, yet. 
I hope that you're right about uh, Quentin Westberg coming in. And but I mean, he is undersized. He's only six foot. Yeah. He's only a six foot goalkeeper. He's 32 years old. How much banging in the box can he take? 32 is yeah. not old for a goalkeeper, though. I know, but coming into the MLS, like we saw what happened to Julio Cesar. He was good, but, you know, he was a little bit older when he came to the MLS. Went to Porto and did great things. But I think the MLS is a bit, I think it's a bit more physical. It's not as technical. It's a very physical, uh, especially when you're coming up against uh, Zlatan. Uh, you know, twice a year. At oh, least. ain't nobody stopping you know, Zlatan. Bang. <laughs> uh, I also just want to say, um, just staying on the topic of uh, acquisitions that Toronto FC has brought in. And, um, Terrence Boyd. Uh, is it safe to say that he is the the new Agarakeche? Because my goodness, no. I mean, we've given him. No. You know, it's only been three games, but I feel like the chances that he's had, it's just been bad. Too early like, to tell. Been, I think. He's in in, in I, I'm I wanna, it already. I want to continue to give him chances to kind of grow in his position and, and grow with the team. But I just from what I've seen. Uh, so I was down there in Toronto um, watching the uh, second leg of the uh, second leg of the CONCACAF Champions League there against Independiente. He's still defrosted. I am. Uh, I think I got pre frostbite. Uh, <laughs> Uh, as much as I love supporting the team, I think it was a bad decision not to go to a bar and watch it. Um, serious frostbite on my legs. But you know what? I'm alive and well, so that's all that matters. Um, but just watching him play, um, the best way to describe it is like a chicken with his head cut off. He had, As soon as he had the ball, it was getting caught up in either his feet or the defender's feet, and he's kind of just kicking at it. Uh, it's kind of like when you watch... Um, when you watch like young kids playing who who aren't you know super uh, skilled, like they're kind of just kicking at it, and that's how I felt watching Terrence Boyd is that he just doesn't seem to have the control or um, the vision uh, of somebody you need up top there as a striker um, to to kind of hold the ball, do that holding play, look for the pass. Someone like a Josie Altador who holds onto the ball, sees what's coming, waits for the the enforcements passes it off for a one-two, gets into the box, puts it away. He just sort of looks like he's he's running around with his head cut off. He's dropping to mid. He's going up top, and he just he looks lost. I mean, and I, that, you know, that, I want to see him do better, but that is a that is definitely a byproduct of being a new signing in a in a struggling team, in a team that's looking for some inspiration. I think he's probably trying a little bit too hard. In all fairness, he's gone into the press and said all these mad stuff like effing kill them and all that like what I <laughs> uh, my he needs to shut his mouth yeah so he's definitely I definitely get the sense he's trying a bit too hard he's definitely aware of what's going on around the club and the and the so the the, the turmoil of the offseason and I think he's trying to be that 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 ray of hope for the team but the thing is he's not doing the talking on the pitch like like Michael Bradley is he's not doing he's not asserting himself he hasn't got to grips with the system if there even is a system very questionable to uh, see what's what is and what isn't after two three games um, but one thing I can definitely say is that he is a budget Josie he he has the same build as Josie he's the same play style as Josie although he doesn't have that kind of surging juggernaut thing that Josie does um he's definitely a, a, a backup player who has been thrust into the starting 11 because Josie's injured he's I don't think we're going to see him regularly at at all once Josie gets back and if he stays fit he's I think it's, I, I'm going to say again, it's too early to tell. He might prove us all wrong. He might decide to say, oh, by the way, I can actually do 100 meters in nine seconds and then turn into the world's fastest player. Who knows? But we definitely need to give him time. We need to give him the benefit of the doubt. And 
you know, for all intents and purposes, as TFC fans, we need we need to be optimistic. We need to, we need more wins than losses right now. We need to be optimistic. And I mean, don't get me wrong. As a TFC fan, I'm sure Peter, you can also back me up on this. You know, I I want to see him do well. I want him to come out there and, and score four goals. Uh, I want him to 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 be the player that you know we we want. Um, I'm just saying that as an assessment from what I've seen so far. And yeah, it is too early to, to give a full breakdown, but from what I've seen so far, um, you know, he's, he's had a few serious hiccups. Um, and you know, look, I mean, so has Laurent Simon. Uh, he's made an error that has cost Toronto a goal, uh, in every game, uh, except for the last one. Uh, he almost had an error last game where he tried that ridiculous bicycle kick clearance <laughs> where he missed the ball. Um, but I mean, look, I, I want to be straight up with everybody uh, listening to this right now that, you know, out there with the Toronto FC podcast that there are, you know, you have a, a lot of um, kiss ass. You have a lot of people that are out there just sort of, you know, suckling to the, the Toronto FC teat, which, you know, we don't want to do. Like we want to give a, a fair and balanced critique of this team as true fans you know paying fans um and you know when 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 they they need a kick in the ass we're going to give it and and when they're doing things well you know we're going to we're going to support them on that as well and and one of the things i wanted to say was that you know looking the the goals that came from michael bradley and and nick de leon no you know what you're probably not going to get a ton of those this season but right now in the situation that toronto fc's in um where else are you going to find goals? It's hard to say. I mean, you'd expect Jordan Jordan Hamilton to put some in. You might expect, you know, Osorio to, to get one or two. But, you know, coming from Bradley and Nick Deleon, that's what we need right now. We need players who are going to step up and put the ball in don't, the back don't of the forget, net. Uh, uh, don't forget the world's best winger, Justin Morrow. Justin, you know what? But Morrow does, does have a good ability to get forward, uh, make a few good crosses into the box. Uh, and so I feel like at this point in time, I'm happy to take goals wherever they come from. And if those goals result in in points, you know, then that's that's a huge start. This is our uh, our first win um, in our, our first game of the season uh, in two years uh, since the 2016 season. Uh, so uh, three years. Yeah, so you yeah. know that that's a positive sign, and you know, and you know, hopefully we can get a result on the seventeenth against New England Revolution at home. Uh, I will be there. <laughs> um, uh, I'll be there too. So if anyone wants to say hi, uh, hit us up. Come and say hi. Support a section. <laughs> You'll find us. Um, but yeah, I mean, so for the most part, look, Toronto FC. Uh, I'm really hoping for a, a much better season than last year. Um, I don't know if they're going to necessarily uh, make the playoffs. I hope they do. Um, title contending team, don't think so. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Crazier things have happened. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a frustrating uh, frustrating season, especially with, uh, I think they're going to hold out Josie, like I was telling you guys. I think they're going to hold out Josie until Pistuello comes, um, just based on the fact it gives them, you know, a week or two extra to uh, recover. Um but yeah, let's be real. There's not going to be instant chemistry between them. There never really is when you're when you're bringing in a, a creative midfielder and a kind of a shithouse striker like Josie Altador, right? Um, so it's going to be kind of interesting as to how the play works between uh, Josie and Pizzuolo and Rosario and Pizzuolo and Bradley and Pizzuolo. Does Bradley play more that holding midfield role or does he play a more free midfield role? Uh, does Pizzuolo play as like a, a, a 10? Does he play... Uh, you know, as almost a, an attacking left-sided midfielder, whereas um, Azoria plays as an attacking right-sided midfielder. It's going to be really interesting to see what Vanny does with this. Um, you know, you have your three designated players now. There's no, there's no question as to who your designated players are. Um, but like we were talking about, 
do they use this the targeted allocation money that they have to do something creative? Do they buy down the last year of, of Michael Bradley's contract and go after another designated player, or do they just ride out this one and see what Bradley does? We all know that his, his dad coaches in LAFC. We all know that he has a soft spot for the New York area, regardless of what team it's going to be. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, seeing as no contract talks is... As far as we're, we're aware, no contract talks have been initiated between TFC and Michael Bradley. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Do we have this these three DPs just for this one season and then we go back to two DPs? Or you know, are we still going to have three? Are we going to make a trade? It's going to be interesting to see what Ali Curtis does with this squad. I think that uh, we're not going to hear anything about Michael Bradley until a deal is done. Uh, I mean, his entire tenure at uh, Toronto FC, he's been pretty tight-lipped. Uh, he doesn't really air any of his... Um, any of his uh, behind-the-scenes things uh, out in public, uh, which, you know, can't be said for some of the other players. Uh, and so I, I think that, like I said, we're not going to know more about that until it's actually done. Um, but I could see him taking less money to stay in Toronto, um, you know, as the captain here, uh, as a leader. I feel like he really does care about this team. Uh, and as much as I feel like, you know, he might want to go play for his dad in LAFC or, or even play uh, in the New York area, uh, I personally could see him um, staying for less money. Um, but I mean, only time will tell in that situation. Uh, so let's quickly talk about some of the other games. Um, so Atlanta United against DC. Uh, so the first ever MLS champions against the most recent MLS champions. Uh, it was quite an exciting game. Um, a lot was expected from, uh, Atlanta and Peter DeBoer. Um, but, uh, underwhelming to say the least. Um, Joseph Martinez hardly, touched the ball. Uh, Atlanta did not look like the powerhouse team that they were last year. Um, mind you, it was only the first game of the season. And um, DC capitalized on their chances and uh, won the game 2-0. Uh, LAFC beat Sporting Kansas City 2-1. Um, Seattle Sounders against the newcomers, FC Cincinnati. Uh, they won 4-1, but let's quickly just take a... Uh, a moment to recognize FC Cincinnati with their debut goal, which was an absolute banger. They scored it quicker than TFC did. <laughs> 13th <that> minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which was scored by uh, Bertone. And uh, if you haven't seen it yet, I highly recommend it. It was a gorgeous volley. Um, uh, yeah, so guys, before we uh, end this segment, uh, I want to quickly take a moment since, you know, hashtag MLS is back. And uh, is I, back. I want us to go around and just uh, quickly say uh, who we think is going to uh, be Supporter Shield winners and MLS Cup champions this year. Um, Chengi, I'm coming to you first. Oh, man. I think Galaxy, the Supporter Shield. Um, Ooh. They've been building something for a while they could be good it depends a lot on the fitness of ibra um but they could be a surprise package i also might tip dc united for it as well just with rooney now having a full season to get acclimatized to the team he could really start to kick on from here and start pulling the strings from midfield both chipping in with both assists and goals like we saw him do a bit of last season um i'd also put toronto fc as an outside chance for, for it, if Pozzuolo turns out to be a good signing, if Altidore stays fit, um, there are a lot of good elements to the team. I think Oro is going to be a very underrated component of TFC moving forward, as he has been for whenever he has played. I don't see anybody giving him praise because he does so many of the basic stuff so well. When, when a player does the basic stuff so well, 
they fly under the radar. That's why you see a lot of midfielders and DMs not get the praise they deserve because of that. Uh, because they're not flashy, because they don't get amongst the goals and assists and do something crazy. For overall playoff championships, I honestly don't know. I would have tipped Atlanta, but uh, after DC United showing and seeing how Seattle Sounders completely decimated FC Cincinnati, I I can't make a call on that one. I'm undecided. It's too early. Undecided. All right. Well, I'm... Uh- I disagree with you about the LA Galaxy. I think even with uh, Ibrahimovic, I think they still have a lot of holes in their defense uh, and that they need to fill. Um, and I feel like they're they're still going to be um, a team that's going to concede far too many goals to to have a chance at that. Uh, so I am going to say that I think Seattle Sounders uh, are going to win the Supporter Shield this year. I think they're going to finish first. Uh, I, the last couple of years, they have sort of started off a little bit soft uh, and then sort of turned the Jets on in the summer uh, and really sort of um, bullied their way into the playoffs where they've had decent runs the last three years. Uh, and I feel like uh, this year, um, you know, with uh, their full squad back, uh, I think they're going to be a lot more consistent. Um, I feel like if that game against FC Cincinnati, now mind you, FC Cincinnati, uh, I'm expecting them to be... Uh, TFC bad this year um, back uh, you know the original TFC I'm sure Peter Whoa. remembers those <laughs> Whoa. Hey, they have Nick Hagland don't just they do and you know what I but I, I just feel like um, you know bringing up as many of the USL players that they did uh, and not really kind of going uh, trying to build it more organically which I respect them for uh, I think they're 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 not going to be a great team but I do think that Sounders are going to win um, the supporter shield um as much as I love Toronto FC, um, and I do have some um, <laughs> cautious optimism, uh, I just do not think they're going to have enough gas in the tank to pull them to a Supporter Shield victory. Uh, but I do see them making the playoffs uh, and possibly making a, a decent run for it, uh, conference finals. Uh, and for MLS Cup, I am going with the team that I called last year for it, and I'm going to say DC United. I think Rooney is uh, here to win an MLS Cup. I think that the... Uh, st- um, the duo, um, the partnership between him and Luciano, uh, Luciano Acosto is uh, fantastic. Uh, and I, I really think that if that game against Atlanta last night was um, any demonstration, um, they got a great goalie in Bill Hamid. Uh, their defensive line is strong. Um, they're able to shut down, you know, star players like Joseph Martinez. And at the top, they have... Um, they got amazing playmakers in Wayne Rooney and then a great goal scorers in Luciano Acosta, which I think is a great mix for a team to go on and win the MLS Cup. So you just stole a bunch of my points about <laughs> DC United. So My bad. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I think coming out of the East, going into the finals, it's probably going to be DC United. Uh, I just like their team. They're deep. Like you said, Bill Hamid is a great goalkeeper has been for years and years and years. I think Rooney is great as long as he can stay healthy. Um, so that's going to be the big thing. Um, they're kind of really lucky that they kept Acosta this season. Um, yeah, so they, he was like, he was inches away from going to PSG. Yeah. Yeah. So they have to make sure that they capitalize on the fact that he's still there. Um, so yeah, I'd like to say that it's going to be DC probably coming out of the East. Um, out of the West, I feel like it's going to be a Galaxy Sounders Western final. Uh, I'm going to say the Sounders probably do win the Supporter Shield. Um, they're just really deep. I say Jordan Morris is probably going to be um, comeback player of the year yeah, if they had say, a comeback yeah. player of the year. Um, he was highly touted even when he was an 18-year-old, 19-year-old. Now I think he's just going to take over. Um, that team is really deep. Stefan Fry 
has been great for years and years and years. Uh, I still kind of hate the fact that we gave up Stephen Fry, and now we have to deal with Alex Bono. But yeah, I think uh, the Galaxy are going to do really well. Obviously, the Galaxy are sort of perennial favorites whenever it comes to MLS. Zlatan, full season with Zlatan, full season with a healthy Zlatan. thing is, he never really gets injured. Except for when he plays for United and then loses a leg. Yeah, but I think he's going to do really well this season. Um, so but yeah. do you think he's going to be able to carry that team with their defensive holes? from? Because they haven't really patched up any of their defensive holes. Uh, there, there hasn't really been. I mean, they had to buy out uh, Giovanni Del Santos. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they still were, have Jonathan. They do. Um, but I just I feel like, you know, offensively, they never had an issue. They were they were banging goals in, but it was just they were leaking goals more than any other team. Uh, they conceded, you know, more goals than any other team last year. Uh, and so I, I just personally feel like defensively they, they they still haven't really fixed those issues and that's sort of where you need to sh- shut up shop and that's the difference between like an LA Galaxy and a DC United is that DC United has that strong back line where they're able to sort of shut up shop and shut down you know key players um you know it's not just a matter of trying to outpace other teams and score you know you know you score four we'll score five like I feel like that's a that's a dangerous way to play and eventually you're gonna run out of gas yeah I think uh, LA's never really had a great defense let's put it that way um and they still found ways to win championships so um that's fair I, I think they're gonna be fine Seattle I think it comes out of the west though as they have since almost their inception just just um, remember that good defense means something very different in MLS compared to the rest of the world <laughs> well yeah exactly I also think sleeper in the west uh Minnesota really just Ooh. gonna just gonna leave that there Okay. Freddie Montero is back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting MLS season. We'll see what happens, man. Like I'm I'm excited for it. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It, it's it's definitely improved um, over the last few years. Uh, it's it's sort of gone from being that you know. Uh, retirement league that nobody really looked at to uh, a real contender for you know you got players like uh, Alfonso Davies and and Miguel Amaran going for you know record prices overseas in their prime right it's not a matter of you know prime players coming over here uh when they're kind of just passing their prime players like Rooney and you know Ibrahimovic I mean Pizuelo the gang didn't want to let go of Pizuelo yeah and he wanted so. to come here. So, I mean, it's definitely raising his profile, and I hope that it continues to. I mean, you know, it's as football fans, we want to see, you know, quality football here at home. Um, and, you know, living in Canada, it's um, it's tough. And really quickly on that note, I just want to give a shout-out to the BMO, you know, grounds crew. I know you guys took a lot of slack from TFC players, but to grow grass that green in the middle of February in Canada in minus 18-degrees weather... If I see any of you guys at the game, I'm buying you a beer because you guys deserve it. That no, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't right be drinking on the job, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it this way. Bring back the uh, Scott's Turf girl. <laughs> Everyone in the supporters section know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, and that's going to do it for us today on the Starting Eleven podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, please find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, leave a rating and a review to let us know what you like about the show and what you guys think we can do better. Um, you guys can find us on Twitter at XI Podcast. Follow us on Facebook at the Starting XI Podcast. And please send us an email if you have any questions or comments at the Starting XI Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, Peter wants to jump in. One more thing support local Canadian football. 
Yes. The CPL is starting this year. It's affordable. Honestly, I think everyone should probably at least go to one game this season just to see the level, just to see Canadian talent and and support. You know, York Nine, Jimmy B. The three of us are going to go to a York Nine game. We're going to we're gonna do a pod on it, okay? Yeah, we Sounds have good? to. We'll make you guys that promise. So after you go and you like and subscribe, uh, like us and subscribe to us on all of your social media, uh, listen to this episode, then make sure you go and um, follow good local Canadian football. Fair? Yeah. All right, there we yeah. go. We're throwing it in there. And uh, yeah, on behalf of my, uh, <laughs> on behalf of Chengiz. Thank you very much. Thank you, my friend. And Peter, thank you so much for coming back, buddy. We missed you. Support Canadian football. Support Canadian football. <laughs> come to and myself. <laughs> come to- <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.